welcome everybody. This is going to be the Astro Fix for the fall of 2018. And Robert Phoenix will be with us in just a moment. And it sounds like we're in for a bit of an interesting ride. And a lot of times Robert talks about how this is reflected in the macro terms, such as in the larger political sense, for example. But those same uh, dynamics are applying to us on a micro level as well. So we're going to get into a little bit of both. And uh, without further ado, let's go to Robert. I'm, I'm in my kitchen because there's no electricity down where my office is. So <laughs> we're going to go to Robert right now. Robert. Hey, Regina. Let's, hey. Cook, up a, let's cook up an Astro fix. <laughs> let's cook one up. <laughs> let's yeah. do that before I make a nice little fall apple tart for some guests coming a little later. I can't help myself. Gluten-free, I hope. Gluten-free and vegan. Yeah, it's right. really good. <laughs> All right, cool. Anyway, Robert, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think each time we've talked the last year and a half or two years or so, it seems like it's sort of crazy on the horizon a bit. And so rather than trying to look for, you know, specific reasons for it, is there some overarching theme we've been involved in? I mean, it is crazy out there. People are behaving badly, seeing a lot of passive aggressive stuff, um, a lot of aggressive stuff in general. I'm just noticing that society seems kind of stressed. I mean, seriously stressed right now. So what what's going on in the large picture? Yeah, so this takes us back to the uh uh, the 9th of November in 2016, and that was election night. And during election night, Mars is at the 29th degree, the anaerobic degree of Aquarius. It's a very unstable degree. Anytime you get into the final degrees of a sign, the 27th and the 28th degree, the sign is really beginning to kind of spin out of control. The 29th degree is there's no energy, right? So it's been really fascinating to watch this two-year Mars cycle because right now Mars is in Aquarius, and by the time we get to the midterms, it'll be about four degrees off of um, three degrees off of where Mars was on election night. So we've been dealing with a two-year Mars cycle, and Aquarius tends to be a radical and revolutionary energy. Okay, mm-hmm. and we've seen really from the jump, you know, from the time that. Um, that that Trump was elected, what was the first kind of image that we 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 all you know were greeted by? It was Bill and Hillary Clinton dressed in purple. You know, why were they dressed in purple? You know, there's some really interesting kinds of connections with Prince, the Purple Revolution. They were trying to kind of cast a new sort of brand right there on election night you know you know the purple didn't didn't necessarily relate to the amount of wine hillary drank uh before she got on the podium but one could make kind of a little bit of a (laughs) well there was good reason to drink that night if i guess one ever was going to (laughs) i I think they broke open the cellars that night Um, so anyway we've been in this revolutionary mode and you can see what happened straight out of the gate it was like well we're gonna we're going to try to get these delegates to flip their votes, right? Well, that didn't work. And then, oh, we're going to get Jill Stein to do this recount. Well, that worked, but it was going in the wrong direction. I mean, they were finding votes that were like, you know, not necessarily copacetic on the left side. So, I mean, it was a shot across the bow with this kind of, you know, radical revolutionary energy, and it has not abated since then. Now, the right, on the other hand, have also been 
sort of radical and revolutionized in their own way. Um, some people have been taking note of the alt-right or the uh, intellectual dark web and people like Ben Shapiro, and Sam Harris and Jordan Peterson, you know, that represents kind of this radical version of kind of, you know, what the right thinks, what the right believes and knocking down the pillars of politically correct thought. And on the other side, we're seeing this kind of radical assertion and insertion of people like the person you like from New York, Ocasio. Uh, we've got this young guy down here in Texas named uh, Beto O'Rourke. So this whole kind of revolutionary energy has been part of the last two years. The problem is, is that the 29th degree, there's no energy. So what, what we're trying to do is we're trying to create a maelstrom of change in kind of a vacuum where there's really no energy to do it. And, and you know, who are the biggest batteries? What are the biggest? It's us. We are the biggest batteries. And, 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 if, and if that continued sort of, you know, tapping the charge on every one of us, and it doesn't matter what side you're on. If you're on the left and you're, and you're filled with, you know, feelings of angst and anger and resentment or whatever, I'm sure you're probably at the end of that. And, and if your health hasn't been affected by it, if you keep going down that path, it will, right? So the human battery has been tapped to capacity. That's the 29th degree of Mars and Aquarius. We have some resolution coming up. This Mars cycle is coming to an end. When we hit the midterms, that'll be on the 6th. I think Mars is going to be at about 25 or 26 Aquarius. So it's coming to an end. Mars will still be in Aquarius, but it won't be at that final, that final anoretic degree. So I think the answer to your question and why everybody's so stressed out is because we've been in the throes of a quiet or soft revolution for the last two years. And, you know, some people are just trying to get on with their lives and have relationships and families and, you know, do things that, you know, most people normally do. The last two years have been hyper politically charged and that Mars at 29 degrees on election night, I think has a lot to do with it. Okay, so we have midterms coming up. We'll get to in a moment. But first of all, uh, you, you, was, you, when you and I were prepping for this, you were saying that um, the rest of September here is kind of a calm before the storm. So we've got, we've got a little bit of calm happening. Tell us a little bit about that dynamic before we go into the equinox, which is late this year. It's on the 24th of September. Yeah, that's correct. So we're going to have a, a new moon that's going to come up here on Friday slash Saturday. It's actually a really nice new moon. Um, it's in Virgo. And I, I just did a, a, a video with um, Heather Eland, who's a wonderful astrologer and one of my students. And we talked about this new moon. And um, one of the things that we both agreed upon, and I think you and I might have even touched on this yesterday, is that, you know, these next three months are going to feel like a stretch run in some ways. And with we have this new moon in Virgo conjunct the sun. There's a grand trine going on uh, that's going to be happening at the same time with Mercury in Virgo and Saturn in Capricorn and Uranus in Taurus. It really behooves us to set some really good patterns into place for our health and well-being. Okay, now most people watching this will not see it until after this Friday. I think it's going to be maybe the 
Yeah. Yeah. So let's just say that's already come and gone. And Mm -hmm. so where are we in the wake of that before the next thing? Yeah. So I I think if you're picking up on this, um, the the best thing you can do, because we're, you know, that new moon is an initiatory phase. And, you know, there are going to be little sub cycles that will come out of it. Um, so just before the full moon, maybe maybe um, maybe the f- that first gibbous moon, um, that's where you can check in with how you're feeling and where your health is and make some adjustments. It's always a good time to do that anyway. What about so, the full moon coming up on the 25th? That's going to be an Aries. Yeah. That's an Aries. And that's going to be a very intense energy. You know, that's an energy of, of uh, you know, of, of real um, emotional kind of power, um, emotional intensity. Um, and, and Chiron's going to be conjuncting the moon during that new moon phase. And we know that Chiron is in Aries and we're dealing with things like male energy, the rebirth of male energy. We're looking at male vulnerability, the sensitive male versus the strong male. A lot, a lot of these Chiron and, and Aries um, aspects are coming up for men in kind of a big way. So when we have Chiron conjunct the moon, there is this moment of time where even though the moon and Aries can be very hot and passionate and um, to, some, to some degree maybe even demanding, that Chiron comes in there and, and basically says that we need to add a little sensitivity. You know, with all this impassioned feeling, we need to add a little sensitivity to how we're emoting, acting, and relating with one another. Yes, getting your point across, which is very Aries, dominating on an emotional level, which is the moon in Aries is something that will be in the air. But I think, you know, we've been so fractured, and here's where. Libra comes in on the equinox, that zero degree point, that balance point, is I think we all need to kind of step back from this desire to be right. Right? And I think and I think if you're on the left side or the right side, you know, I think you both have to like look inside your heart and people have to check their heart. Say, you know, maybe I don't need to be right on this right now. You know, maybe what might be more appropriate is for me to be more kind of open to this person emotionally and just kind of hear what they have to say, you know, and not shut them out of the, out of the, you know, the family will. Good. That's good advice at all times. And especially if we're already being impacted. So to where you could have some real dysfunction come out of it, if you can't stop pushing your point. So that's, that's a good point. Also, then we have Venus and Libra. You were talking about goes retrograde October 6th, we talked about that entering Scorpio into a dynamic that happens every couple of years. What is this bringing up? So I want to touch on that. There is one other point about this Libra, um, this, this equinox that's coming up on the 20th. Okay. If people are really smart and really hip, what and you know this, you know, at the core of your being, Regina, is that we are involved in what's called the Hegelian dialectic, which is the, the problem-reaction-solution dynamic that we've been indoctrinated into. And for that to exist, right, we have to have two sides. There always has to be two sides. 
And during the equinox, we have this really rare moment of balance where both sides are equally balanced. And if people are listening to this, one of the things that we might have an opportunity to do during this equinox, whether it's through your intention, whether it's through interaction with another person, is to understand that this Hegelian dialectic is at play. And that at times, the problem may not be the problem at all. Or the solution may be a solution that could be inappropriate and generated by a group of people who want you to believe that that's the solution. Right. And it will take people who are really strong and have the ability to be authentic on both sides to say, we don't buy this. We're not buying this program. And I think that if you're really keen and really aware and really hip, because we are waking up in numbers that are unprecedented, you'll see this and you'll be able to navigate it with some of that Libran, Venusian grace in a lawn. Okay. So I think this is actually a really important equinox that's coming up. Now, back to your question around Venus retrograde. So Venus was at 25 degrees on Sunday night. And we're going into a Venus retrograde, and that'll start uh, in the sign of Scorpio at 10 degrees Scorpio, Venus 10 degrees Scorpio. Now, it will resolve itself and go all the way to where it went retrograde, meaning it'll go, it'll go back to that exact point where it went retrograde at 25 Libra. So this is a really important piece to understand. Now, the dates on that, just to, so people can understand that date-wise, is Venus will go retrograde. I think you said October 6th the other day. Is that correct? Yeah. So it's October 6th. Okay. And then, then it comes back and it goes direct on the 16th of November. So those are the dates you want to just kind of keep in mind, okay? Now, we start off with Venus and Libra, which is pretty harmonic. It's a nice, I believe it's part of the um, supergalactic center at 25 degrees. It's also, I think, part of what they call the, um, the Via Combusta, which is an interesting, it's too much to get into, but uh, it's also part of the Via Combusta. There are degrees at the end of Libra that are very explosive. They can be very dynamic in some ways. So um, it's at that 25th degree, but generally speaking, you know, Venus and Libra is copacetic, it's harmonious, uh, even at that degree. And as, it, as Venus moves into Scorpio, it will go retrograde. Now, when it goes into Scorpio, we're talking about getting into sort of the nuts and bolts and mechanics of relating. And Scorpio is all about the shadow. It's all about, you know, those areas that are, that are taboo, right? Maybe we, we, we fear being abandoned. Maybe we fear that we're too vulnerable and too clingy. Maybe we fear that we're too sexual and, um, you know, our partners are, um, you know, not uh, willing to uh, be as, have, have the same voracious, voracious sexual appetite, whatever that is, whatever sort of, taboo or area that we feel uncomfortable or there's some shade in our life, you get to explore that. Power dynamics are also another piece with Venus and Scorpio. How do you use relationships in your life 
to gain power over a situation or another person. And we all do it. We've been doing it since we were children. You know, that comes into play as well. You know, how can we get into these dynamics and then sort them out and do it in a way where we can have really adult discussions, adult revelation, and shine some light in those areas? Because ultimately, we're coming back to that 25th degree in Libra, which means we're going to come back into balance. This is really a very unique time for this Venus retrograde. And I, and I think if you are entering into a relationship, if you're dealing with relationship dynamics and you want to go deeper, and, and it, it's like, yeah, you know, get into the deep end of the pool. It's okay. And it will be very helpful. It'll be very worthwhile. And especially if you have a relationship that you don't want to let go of, you know, sometimes it's important to hang in there with a relationship that can be uh, resuscitated and have some new, the, you know, new life, you know, uh, breathe back into it. And this could be one of those times. The other piece with this, though, too, is that if you do have to let go of a relationship during a Venus and Scorpio retrograde, and by the way, it is not necessarily a good thing to break up during a Venus retrograde because there's a really good chance to get back together again. Okay. So keep that in mind. Better to look at the, no matter how difficult it is, look at it, try to get through it, try to make it through that period and make a, a wise decision after it's over. But, you know, the interesting part is people are so afraid of being seen for the vulnerable side of themselves. And if this is really going to force that hand, um, I think people need to remember that when, when we say read a novel or watch a film or something, it's usually when the person hits a really vulnerable part, even excruciatingly vulnerable, that our own compassion really starts kicking in for the character. And we forget that applies to us. It applies to our relationships with other people. When we really show up warts and all, that gives someone else a chance to really kind of open up toward us in return rather than feel repelled or run or hide, which is, I think, everyone's deepest fear is if their shadow comes out, the other person's going to run. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And, you know, I look back on, a, I, I think it might have been actually the last time that you and I did this, uh, you know, we, we talked about, you know, our children very briefly. And it was very clear to people that were watching our exchange that they knew that both you and I were having very vulnerable moments. And, um, and that was one of the comments that I got from people who watched that video. And I think that really underscores your point. And when we, when we do show up that way, and it's real vulnerability and not some of this fake victim vulnerability, right? Um, people really respond to it. And it gives them a sense of, permission to be human as well. I agree. I totally agree with that. So I'm, I'm glad we got into that for a sec on relationships because now we're going to go into the other stress factor in life and that is money. And you say that there are, um, I, which one is it now? Is it the same configuration with Venus that's going to cause people to need to kind of delve into that side of life too, looking at their portfolios, IRA, I mean, RRAs and so forth? No. Yeah, absolutely. Because Scorpio represents soft assets. Okay. And most people have soft assets. You know, some people have some cash laying in their mattress or 
you know, maybe some, you know, silver or some gold laying around. But by and large, people are invested in soft assets. That's Scorpio. Venus represents a relationship to those soft assets. Retrograde, you may want to look at them. You may want to find out what's going on. You may want to get into your 401k. Where's the money going? You, know, you may want to adjust it. You may want to go into kind of a slow growth period. You may want to eliminate some of those soft assets, right? That's another piece around this because you may, you know, we're dealing with things like Uranus and Taurus. You and said there could even be like a money crisis that occurs. It could, right? it could be a money crisis or it could be the prelude to a money crisis, you know? And I think mm -hmm. if we do have a money crisis, if there's a prelude, it, it will be a very brief prelude. Let's put it that way. And we probably, what does that mean? Is that an ominous statement, or yeah, like if we have a if we have a brief money crisis, it would maybe be like a forty eight hour brief money crisis, and then forty eight hours after that, we're in a crisis. Okay, because I so don't prepare think, now. Position yourself now if you absolutely. have any kind of insecurities about what you're doing with your your money or your finances. And we live in a volatile world, so you 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 know you may as well do it anyway. Yeah. Right? It's like being prepared for an earthquake or some kind of a natural disaster. We, when we were prepping for this, you were telling me that Chuck Armstrong, Gerald Salente, who a lot of people are familiar with, a lot of people, Catherine Austin Fitz as well, they're all talking about um, this kind of disparity between domestic and international health of the U.S. dollar, which is, I've heard some other people commenting on this in columns uh, from other quarters of the world having to do with, you know, the crisis in Turkey after we put all these huge tariffs up and such. What is it they're concerned about? Well, I think they're concerned about the relationship with these countries in general. And if Trump or whoever is guiding Trump is telling him to slam this tariff on this country, um, you know, freeze or sanction this country, pull out of this deal, it's harder to engender a sense of trust. And at that point, these foreign countries, these, these entities that either hold uh, treasury bills or bonds or cash, they may be more willing to divest themselves of that and look at other international suitors, right? China, the BRICS. Um, they may say, look, the United States, cash is king. But there's, there's, we're not feeling really all that safe here. It's very unstable. And, and, and some of that is already starting to happen. And so if the dollar begins to have less of the global impact that it's had since essentially Nixon turned it into the petrodollar and, and the right. global reserve currency, um, that can have a real wobble with the market and if we're doing well domestically which by and large we tend to be doing unemployment is down uh employment in the in the black community is up you know there are more african americans working and starting businesses now which i think is great it's not talked about very much um so we're having some we're having some relative strength domestically but if we get into this kind of you know you know wobble um, nobody knows where it's really going to go because we haven't really seen that. The dollar has always been strong 
domestically. And that, I'm sorry, internationally. Maybe a little bit weak domestically, but internationally, it's always held its own. Now it's kind of inversed. And we could get into like a torsion field, you know, and, and there would be this cognitive dissonance with, you know, with money and reserves and, and all that stuff. So I, I just, I think we're kind of in, you know, unexplored territory. There are some people who say that, well, we need to go into a hyperinflationary mode. There are other people who say that we, you know, we need to go into a stagnationary flow mode. I mean, they're doing kind of the reverse now, apparently, with um, quantitative easing. They're backing off on the quantitative easing now. So I just, I think we're we're in a place that's very bizarre monetarily, and with Uranus in Taurus, it's not going to get easier. It's going to become more unstable, more unpredictable. And, and I think people need to get really sharp and creative with their resources. And, would you um, say go? Would you go so far as saying even uh, perhaps a bit conservative, focusing on the basics, making sure that you stay stable on a really basic level? Oh yeah, I mean absolutely. Like I think people should be willing and able, whether or not systems can support it. You should be you should be able to sustain your life. And that means if you've got a, a mortgage or rent to pay or whatever those things are, you should be able to sustain that for at least 90 days minimum. Mm-hmm. And everything that goes along with that, that, that is an essential. So just add up the money. You should literally have three months in the bank cash. It should be cash. It should be like with you for paying, you know, your living space bills. Period yeah. of the story. And then the same could be said for food. You need to have at least 90 days worth of food, 90 days worth of water. It is not some prepper madness. You know, if there's a national disaster, you need the stuff anyway. This, so yes, to your point. I also think that people probably need to revisit blockchain and some of the cryptos. You know, since we had this kind of massive explosion with the cryptos and Bitcoin, it's gotten pretty quiet on that front. Right. And there hasn't been a lot of movement. However, there's been a lot of development underneath sort of like the big five, Ethereum, Litecoin, uh, Bitcoin, Bitcash. There's been a lot of developments and a lot of really interesting things are happening on the blockchain front and some of the microcurrencies and some of the smaller cryptos. And there are people out there who are actually, you know, kind of Sherpas in that world. You know, go find out who some of these people are. And, you know, some of the entry levels are very, very modest, $50, $100. And if you understand what's going on in those worlds, it could pay small dividends. And in the future, you may have an understanding as to where the game is going. And ultimately, Regina, you and I know that, that cash has an expiration date stamped on it, Right. Oh, it does. I mean, yeah, even going into, uh, you, as you know, and I've mentioned before, I watch all the trends on the ground. I, like, I just pay attention to what I'm seeing uh, in stores where I, aisles are getting wider as um, inventory starts disappearing, uh, the quality of goods and so forth. And one of the thing I've, things I've been seeing here in California is even a couple of coffee shops I've been to no longer accept cash. There you go. Yeah. 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 And so that is that is starting, and I do I do understand as you're saying that I think ultimately that is the way it's going to go. So we do have to familiarize ourselves with the digital world in an unprecedented way now. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, and he, you know, here we get into some dark territory. Yeah. But there's going to be two worlds. We're going to be faced with a choice of two worlds. There'll be a soft digital conversion. You know, maybe use your cell phone um, to be able to pass cash back and forth. But that'll come to an end as well. And ultimately, you know, it'll go to retinal scans because that's built into the phones. It's built into, it'll be built into the new infrastructure when it comes to point of sale. Um, and then after that, you know, here I sound like a, you know, an apocalyptic doomsayer, but there's the chip. And that's, that's the dirty, dirty little secret that nobody wants to talk about. And, you know, we're going to, at some point, come to a fork in the road. And you're either going to be a part of the world with that ability to um, buy goods and buy services, or you're going to be outside of that. And I think I'm going to be a holdout, Robert. <laughs> I do not like that lack of sovereignty at all. And yet, at the same time, we've already given so much of ourselves away just by being online. Um, oh, absolutely. That's, that's part of the massaging process, right? Exactly. It's tenderizing us. And the whole thing will be about convenience. You know, convenience and security. That'll be the hook. And um, if you want to be free, you're going to have to live an inconvenient and unsecure life. And that's just the way it is. Right. I'm down with that. And I think a lot of people that are watching this are probably going to prefer that direction as well. But we'll see what the implication of that is on a practical level when the time comes. Everybody kind of has to make their mind up based on the data of the moment. So, That's right. yep. okay, now all this we've talked about is leading us into the midterm elections. And we have seen some really interesting upsets with people that you would never expect to uh, have an upset in an election with, with someone who has been incumbent for, you know, many, many uh, different terms, but that's starting to happen now. So at the same time, you're feeling like uh, the establishment that the, the, the astrology of the moment is going to be supporting uh, the good old boy network, the establishment of the elite. Right. And yes, I do believe that. And I think it's important on the one hand, to understand that the elite operate on both sides of the ledger sheet, okay? The, the elite are globalists or internationalists. Um, they don't care what side they're on. They, mm -hmm. they understand that at some point they're going to be at the top of the pecking order, that everybody else will kind of be beneath them because that's, right. how, that's how it works. Um, but I would say that based on election night, uh, we're going to have that true node at Leo at zero degrees. And when I see that, that to me represents the established order. That even though we're going to have the south node in Aquarius, it's coming from a much weaker position. But it does feel like, like a face-off or a showdown, where we have essentially the proletariat versus the bourgeoisie. You know, this is right out of the pages of you know, uh, Russia, 1917. The, the French Revolution, Robespierre. I mean, this is kind of the energy that's being set up because it is the end of that Mars cycle mm -hmm. that I'm talking about, right? It's right at the end of that Mars cycle. So at zero degrees, it feels to me like Leo comes out on top and it's the established order that carries the day. Well, the day after the midterms, we have a shift in the nodes of the moon. And the North Node goes into Cancer, 
which is all about the people. It's all about this feeling of we the people. It's a, it's about the, the it is about the proletariat. Um, it's about things like um, being um, sort of domesticated. Um, what I mean, what I mean by this, having a family. Um, it's about it's about uh, nurturing and bonding. All those things that we associate with the sign of Cancer. Well, for about a year and a half, a little over a year and a half, those qualities are going to be really important. They're going to come front and center. You know, things like where your food comes from, where your water comes from, um, very important stuff. You know, things like uh, mothering, maternity, breastfeeding, um, you know, what goes into um, our food. Again, it's going to be, you know, right at eye level for about a year and a half. On the back end, we have that south node in Capricorn. And this is where we begin the, what I would call the, the hierarchical or the social decline that takes place ultimately on, uh, in January of 2020. Because that's when Saturn and Pluto conjunct together in the sign of Capricorn at 20 degrees. This has not happened since, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, was it 40, 40 AD? I think it's 40 AD was the last time Saturn and Pluto were in conjunction. And the, and the most, I think, uh, I think the most uh, symbolic event was Saul on his way to uh, Damascus. And he has, he has the moment. He has the moment on the way to Damascus. I think that happens right around that time. So this is pretty significant. We haven't seen this aspect since then. In in a in an interesting way, one could say that in that moment where he changes his identity, and it's going from literally one age to another, right? And he becomes he becomes Paul. And at, at that point, we enter into the Piscean age. Mm -hmm. And if this is true, and it hasn't happened since, and I don't believe it has, then this Saturn-Pluto conjunction would signify the end of the Piscean age. And what does that indicate? Well, it indicates a lot. I mean, first Did you say this is like history-changing moment in time? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first of all, we have to, we, when we look at this south node going through these various degrees of Capricorn, this is where the system, as we know it, becomes most vulnerable. And the, the people and the, the judges, the hierarchies, become most vulnerable during this time. And it's when the Cancerian energy, the energy of care, the energy of bonding, it's a very organic energy, rises and becomes much more prevalent. So what we're what we're looking at here is a, is ultimately a balancing out, hopefully, where when they both converge and meet together at zero, you know, we stand across from one another and we're like, okay, you know, we've we've sorted some of this stuff out. You know, I mean, ultimately, it'd be great if you know during that time, if people really wanted to change the world, they just everybody would just stay home for about a week, right? Right. I mean, right. that would that would get their attention, right? Um, but this piece with Saturn and Pluto in 2020, I feel like we're coming, we've really come to the end of something, you know, we've really come to the end of how we do business. 
we've come to the end of this so-called democracy. You know, we've come to the end of fair and just elections. We've come to the end of people who have very little connection with who we are, what we're about, you know, theoretically representing us. That part is going to implode. Are you saying that it's going to be replaced with something that is genuinely fair and just, even if it's an entirely different system? We'll see. We'll see. All in, we, we will be coming to an end. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the, people, the people who are essentially operating you know, on this planet as you know, game overseer directors, right. they know this is coming. And every time this has happened, and it has happened before, they've had something ready to go in its place so that people can then be herded into something, you know, that resembles the new thing, right? There's a difference, though. And the difference is, is that people have been waking up in droves. Yes. And if people can really use their discernment they may be able to sniff out the bullshit of a new false paradigm that's being offered to them. And I think this is really the, the crucial point in our evolution as um, a species, you know, on this mm-hmm. planet, is to get to that point. And if it looks like it might be really, really good, we may want to step back a little bit and just say, hold on a second. Maybe we need to rethink this. Maybe we don't need to give our consent to this because no matter what happens, no matter how it lines up, no matter what sort of replacement is being crafted, you know, in the wings, we always have to give our consent. We always have to give our consent. So am I hearing you say that we're entering a period where we, the people, will start feeling the strength of our own power and decide whether we are or are not going to give consent from this point forward? I would hope so. Mm -hmm. I would hope so. And in order to do that, people have to be really, really wise. Yes. Wise like serpents, right? Like as much as I really, like there, there are people on the right that I like, there are people on the left that I like, you know, and the people on the right that I like, the reason I like them is a lot of them speak truth to power. You know, they cut through the bullshit. And that's great, right? It's That's great. The key for anybody is to look at that and say, you know, I can grab something from that, but I don't necessarily have to be that. Like, I think Tucker Carlson does a really great job, but I don't have to be Tucker Carlson. And not everybody has to be Tucker Carlson, right? On the left-hand side, you know, I think Tulsi Gabbard is great, even though she's a member of the CFR. I think she's great, but I don't have to be her either. And Mm -hmm. nobody has to be any of these people. We have to be our own people. We have to synthesize things and we have to make decisions that are really based on wisdom and not because some team, some club or some party is dangling something in front of us and says, okay, well, I affiliate with that because I don't want to be left out in the cold. Right. I think we have at some point have to stand back from that and say, we're going to make our own decisions here. And they may not be the decisions that you're making for us. And hopefully people can get to that point. In order to do that, we have to disassemble our belief systems on both sides in order to do that. I agree. 
And I, I remember doing um, doing a, a uh, an interview, an interview with the Theo Group through Sheila Gillette uh, back in 2011, 2012. It's been quite a long time ago now. And they said, by the time you hit 2020, your system of government is no longer going to look the same. Now, well, the one thing about dealing with beings from other places, spaces, dimensions, or whatnot, is time is very fluid, right? It doesn't exist in the same way. But they were saying with great certainty, your system, as you know it, is going to be changed. And it, and on one level, it might look like it is a to your detriment, but if you start looking at the consciousness of the people, um, which will be rising up and exerting itself, then you're going to see it very differently. And this is basically what you're talking about, and you're talking about it in a similar timeline yeah um yeah that could that could absolutely uh manifest and we're living in really amazing times i know it's kind of schizo and chaotic and uh it can be really nerve-wracking but we are living in historical times i mean they'll look back on this period for better or worse and um it'll be written about who you know who wins will ultimately you know write the chapter in the verse on it but that's how it'll happen. Yeah. Meanwhile, you're saying that, so in America, this upcoming election uh, in a couple of months' time, that you see the, the, dominant, uh, the dominant party staying in office, basically, that the Republicans will maintain their strength. And this yeah. is going to create a backlash among the citizens at large, and we're going to see some unusual events. I remember when we were talking about this prepping, you said there could even be some kind of kind of out of the blue event where where someone or some people decide we're just taking matters into our own hands. We're not going to put up with this anymore. And that's when things get, uh, you say, a little scary, a little unstable, potentially. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that people are going to have to really keep their eye on is this whole voting process. And if there's if there's any hint of impropriety on either side, it'll be enough to push whoever's on the losing end kind of, you know, into a state of, let's just say more, more, more aggressive kinds of legislation. Right. Yeah, for sure. Right. Because they're feeling provoked. Um, okay. So let's go on from the election. Um, you're saying, you were also saying that during, during that period of time, you could have even a false flag kind of event or an event that you think can look organic, but could be inspired by, um, you know, kind of darker aspects of the intelligence community that starts stirring things up. You know, uh, that's, that's always a potential. You're just saying it's a more heated potential right now. Well, you know, we're in a really delicate phase, and I, and I think we're getting into October, that October period, not really September. Um, but it's a delicate phase because, you know, we're, we're in this very – every election, it's like, oh, it's the most important election ever. I mean, how many times have we heard that, right? Yeah. They roll that out every – but this one is actually really kind of important because of the, of the heightened sense of disconnect that we've been living with that, that to me makes it really important. Um, there's that. And we're also in this embryonic phase of waking up. I mean, we are in the birth canal of awakening. And so events can come along to, excuse me, disturb and disrupt that process. 
Right. So if, if, if it's going to happen, it would happen along those lines. But the other thing you and I talked about, and I think this is actually probably more of a, a potential reality, is something along the lines of a natural disaster. I think we're going to yes. be in some kind of natural disaster energy over the course of the next three weeks. We've had some earthquake action in California. I think it was about a 4.4 in L.A. the other day. Um, you know, of course, we have the kind of ongoing drama in Hawaii, although I think that's subsided. But the, the Earth is being interpenetrated by, you know, this record amount of gamma rays. And the gamma rays are destabilizing everything. So if that continues to happen, there's probably a pretty good chance that we're going to have some kind of disturbance. You know, we're, the Farmer's Almanac is predicting a very, very wet winter. So we might move into a period where areas get inundated and flooded. We see some, you know, more of this kind of humanity that helps each other out. And, you know, I, I feel like there's, there's a period coming here where we're going to see the emergence of heroes, you know, two or three, four, maybe a group of people that really stand out and grab our attention. And we, you know, and we, you know, we, we, we're thankful for what they've done. I think we're looking at it really during this Venus retrograde phase. Interesting. Yeah. And so we talked a little bit about uh, about how the U.S., uh, certainly within five years' time, may not look the same. It may not be the same form of government. We're going through a radical historical shift right now. But you're saying, and you also noticed when you were uh, doing some of your calculations, that the state of Israel looks like they're going to go through a shift as well. What's happening with Israel? Well, they're sort of on a uh, similar path as the United States, as one would imagine. And as the United States becomes, you know, the, the energy around the United States internationally right now is not great. And um, because we've really bonded and woven our destiny in some ways together with Israel, in fact, I think there's even a clause that we have to, um, they're also going through their own kind of you know, tarnished image, you know, in Western Europe, like, I, it, like it's getting to this point now where apparently, um, you know, Jews who live in France want to leave. They're thinking about getting out. And some of it has to do with the fact that they've flooded Western Europe with, uh, you know, Muslims and North Africans who are not necessarily all that friendly towards Israel and, and people who are, are Jewish. That might be part of it. But there's also a growing sense that, you know, people are looking around and saying, you know, you're treating those people over there pretty badly. You know, you've, well, you, you've, you've got, a, you know, you've got one rule for, you know, your group and another rule for this other group. And as, as we become more awakened, more aware, we begin to see the disparity of that. And people, people are getting it, right? They're totally getting it. and if we go back in time, one of the things that uh, Trump has been instrumental with this, one of the things he did, it was in May and right around, it was Gemini. Of course, he says, we're going to relocate the embassy to Jerusalem, right? He did that. And when he did that, um, it set off a firestorm and it basically made Jerusalem the capital of Israel. And historically, that has been a place where the meeting of the three Abrahamic faiths could occur without any kind of politicization, right? It's all there. 
you know, the temple, the mosque, churches, it's all there. Um, but that changed. And then the last, the first eclipse of the eclipse season, which was on the 12th of July, when that took place, there was a star of David in the sky. When you looked at the various angles, there was a star of David in the sky, and that was on July 12th. And I looked back historically on July 12th, and on July 12th, 70 AD, that is when the sec second temple of Solomon, the second temple, Solomon's temple fell. It was, it was they, they sounded the shofar, you know, on the, on the 12th of July, and three days later, it was in ruins. So from that July 12th to the July 12th of that eclipse, that was 1,948 years. And the number 1,948 is significant because that's when Israel became a nation state. Right. So right. one of the things that uh, Heather and I talked about on our, our uh, Mooncast is I said something's going to happen with Israel. Like there's going to be something significant. It may not be on the eclipse. It's going to be around the eclipse. And lo and behold, you know, I think it was about four days later, they passed a, a law that basically said that they are a nationalist state um, and they don't have to adhere to any personal rights of any other group other than themselves. Right? right. So basically they were saying you know, it was a big middle finger to the UN and the rest of the world. It was a big F you. They said, we're going to treat people however, however we want and you can't do a damn thing about it. When Trump pulled the funding from Palestine, I think the rest of Europe was just incensed that that would happen in that way. And for anyone who, it doesn't matter whether you're Jewish, Muslim, Christian, um, as a human being, walking through the wall and going into Palestine, I have to say was one of the most traumatic events of my life. My entire body burst into tears. I felt like my cells were crying because of the desperation. I mean, everything was demolished. There were no, there wasn't even no plants, no trees. Um, and I remember this man came up to me and he was, he had an orange and some used baby socks, just trying to get anybody to buy anything to feed his family. And I've been in really poverty stricken regions of the world where people live in tree houses. Um, I mean, kettles of fish head soup in the streets where the people are still living their lives the way they know to live them. And that is their kind of level of economic um, stability and have been for a long time for generations. So you look at it that way and you think, well, poverty is difficult to watch, but they're feeding themselves and you, they're living their lives and they're living with relatives and they're in the streets doing things and making music with friends. But this is not that. I mean, Palestine used to be a thriving community. It had, it was a sophisticated culture, educated culture. And when you walk through that wall, anybody, I don't care who you are, if you don't burst into tears and say, this is wrong and enough people are walking through now that we have to stop and start becoming wise human beings and stop identifying with our religions, our bloodlines, and so forth. I think the time for that is really over, personally. Yeah. That's yeah. my opinion on it. I mean, I don't talk about it publicly, but going to Palestine really woke me up in a way that was, was almost devastating. Yeah, some, some of the um, more heartbreaking sort of images I've seen 
I've never been there, but I've seen a number of YouTube videos and, and watching these guys in their really simple fishing boats trying to catch fish and, you know, the Israeli Navy coming along and hitting them with water cannons. Yeah. Yep. It's, it's like, you know, come on, you know, these guys are, they're basically living just, you know, beyond like a night, you know, 19th century existence in some ways. I agree, Robert. Um, yeah. This is unacceptable. The, the U.S. pulled funds from Palestine, whatever deal Trump's doing with them. That is wrong. On a human level, I don't, like I said, I'm not politically affiliated anymore. Right. It's just wrong as human beings. And if Israel does keep that up, they're going to really start creating much greater resentment from the rest of the world. Because everyone's watching now. We do have YouTube. We do have people like me and others who are going over and have gotten into Palestine and come back you know, and have seen for ourselves. And it can't continue this way. You can't have one set of rules for yourself and a completely different one applied to people who are in deep suffering. Right. Well, um, I, would, I would agree with you. I would completely agree with you. And let's be fair, there are people in Israel who probably have very similar... Oh, absolutely. A lot of people in Israel have the same feelings. I met with a lot of them, especially the youth, which is, to me, those are some of the bravest people in the world. A lot of the youth are saying, no, I am not going into the military. That's I'm right. not going to uphold this agenda any longer. And those are the people I have incredible respect for. They're young, and I'm hoping they can put some pressure and start making changes from within. Yeah, yeah. I, look, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Bringing this back to the astrological piece, mm -hmm. When, you, when we look at um, Israel's chart, um, one of the things that's very prominent about it, it was, Israel was um, inaugurated as a nation state on May 15, 1948, which makes it a Taurus country. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, we know Taurus is being fixed. It's a fixed sign. Right. Taurus is connected to the bull, you know, and the bull is connected to Babylon. So they incarnated during the sign of the bull. Very, very powerful day, May 15th. It's associated with money, uh, physical resources. And right. Clearly, you know, there's a lot of money that gets funneled through to, uh, to Israel. Uh, but when we look at the upper part of the chart, there's a lot of Leo in the 10th house. Moon and Leo, Mars and Leo, Pluto and Leo, I believe Venus and Leo, if I'm not mistaken. Um, all the top of the chart. So there's a lot of pride to Leo pride. Again, fixity. We're going to do it this way. Nobody's going to tell us how to run our country. It's very Leonine, right? But here comes Mars at the bottom of the chart. And it's getting ready to oppose all these planets in Leo that are connected to Israel. And so we're going to have a Mars opposition to the moon, mm -hmm. Mars opposition to Pluto, Mars opposition to Mars. It, these are combustible aspects. And right now, the south, the true node is on the moon, is on Israel's moon. So there's a light, there's a spotlight that's being shown on this place right now and will be shown on this place over the course of the next three to four weeks. Well, it'll be interesting to see what ultimately happens from that, because you're right, there's a lot of energy around it right now. Meanwhile, yeah. we, we do have, if we can move to Jupiter, going into Sagittarius, and what we can kind of personally glean from that, where we have energy available to us personally, that would be nice. Yeah, well, Jupiter's all about, it's all about expansion, um, it's about abundance, it's about goodwill, 
bonhomme, as the French would say. Um, it's about truth. How about that? Jupiter's about truth. So we're going to enter into a phase here starting in November, from November roughly to December of next year, with Jupiter and Sagittarius. And wherever it's going to show up in your chart, that's an area where you need to expand and begin to live your life authentically, truthfully. Now, if you're going to live your life truthfully, you got to be really truthful with yourself, too. Yep. You can't just say, well, this is my truth, right? And F you. Your truth may be really limited and cordoned off because your ego might be convincing you that it's your truth. You got to be careful with that. And sometimes we'll get some of that with Sagittarius. The Sagittarius can be a bit ideologish. And it is a sign that at times can be a bit full of itself. Like, I know what to do. I know what's happening. You don't know anything, right? But it can also be very generous. And, you know, if we practice the generosity of spirit with Sagittarius in our lives and live our lives really truthfully and rewarded for that, we can cover a lot of ground, you mm -hmm. know? It's going to be in its own sign. I think, it's, I think it's pretty celebratory. I think this could be a cool time. The last time it was in Sagittarius was 12 years ago. So what are we talking, like uh, 2000 and what was that, 2007? Is that right, 2007? Yeah, uh, yeah, six, seven. So, yeah. so essentially what I'm hearing you say, with all this intense stuff going on, with all the wobbles underneath it, if you've got Jupiter and Sagittarius, you might want to just take a little time to celebrate or, or party it off, just say, screw it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's, one, that's one great thing about Sagittarius. I mean, it's a sign that, you know, knows how to tie one on a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, it, it's really interesting, like, how, how certain people are born on, on certain days, mm -hmm. you know, together. And um, one of the, one of the um, birthdays, Sagittarius birthdays, that it's really interesting is Bruce Lee and Jimi Hendrix being born on the same day. Oh, and, right. You know, and Jimi Hendrix is like, you know, there are no limitations with Jimi Hendrix, right? It's like he just wants to go everywhere cosmically and, you know, he's a psychedelic love god and he can do anything on a guitar. And, and then you got Bruce Lee, who's so disciplined, right? <laughs> he uses his martial arts like a religion. And that's exactly what he did. And, and you get the, the breadth of Sagittarius between these two individuals. One is trying to use a system to attain real spiritual insight. And the other wants to just completely move beyond that system and, you know, go occupy the galactic center. So, you know, have some fun, uh, be philosophical, um, trust your instincts. Sagittarius is kind of a lucky sign. Trust your instincts. It's a good time to do that. And it's also a good time to build up your faith, you know, especially if you have any kind of religious or spiritual inclination and you really believe that, you know, God is in your corner and loves you and wants the best for your life, it's a, it's a good time to do that. We might get a little bit more religious fundamentalism during this time. So, you know, file that away as well. 
Well, personally, Zeus and I are going to take off in a couple weeks for a Zen monastery for a few days. I like to go there every now and then. It's just right on the ocean. It's absolutely beautiful. Vegetarian food, no responsibility except just going quietly inside. And uh, to me, that's that. those are some of the most refreshing days of life is uh, escape to the Zen monastery. Yeah. And by the way, uh, Regina told me the location of that. So I'm going to post that on my website. <laughs> <laughs> and you guys, uh, be uh, you know, if you ever wanted to go hang out with Regina, and use, <laughs> this monastery would be great. Totally great. How's that sound, Regina? That sounds good, Robert. Well, I'm going to have some more. So I, I, I decided to take 2018 off because there's just way too much stuff going on on a personal level and a move and everything else. And yeah. uh, But 2019, I'm going to be back at it doing my workshops. And that's what we do together. We all start diving into that center place inside. You know, the whole thing about what you've been saying about developing real discernment and wisdom. Um, that's the only thing that's going to pull all of us through this is developing that sense in ourselves. So we know what we're willing to buy into and not buy into anymore. And we can't have anyone else telling us that we do have to discern for ourselves now, in my opinion. Yeah. It's like passing through the eye of a needle. I mean, that's how, that's how laser focused we have to be. Yes. Yeah. So in the end, you say fall, this fall, this autumn is a lead into a period of time when we finally emerge from it about five years from now, we're going to be looking at a very different world. So take this time seriously, engage with it, develop your intuition, your discernment, your wisdom, stand for what you believe to be true and right. And we can't avoid this any longer. No, no, no more letting other people make the decisions for us any longer on any level. Not whether it's your doctor, your priest, you know, an educator, it's over. I totally agree with that. That's a high five right there. <laughs> high five, Robert. Yeah. Robert, thank you so much for joining us again. And we'll be back and see how things shape up after the elections in America, after some of the other fallout, you know, kind of economically with some things that have been set in motion and see how the winter of 2019 is going to shape up. So again, thank you, Robert. Always appreciate your time. Absolutely, Regina. Love to be here with you. <laughs> and again, if you want to connect with Robert for any kind of personal consultation or to join in some of his groups, you can always go to robertphoenix.com. Until next time, thank you for joining us here on reginameredith.com. <laughs>